Hey everybody, it's Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about being right with God. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to let you know that we have a bunch of cool things, important things I should say, coming up online in the near future. About a week ago, we had a leadership meeting, and in that meeting, we spent over an hour brainstorming how we could continue to help people experience and express God's glory, which is the mission of our church. Out of that meeting came a lot of great ideas that are going to turn into a lot of really important things, I think, that we're going to put online. And we're going to do some things to help people connect more fully to our church. We're going to do some things to help people grow spiritually. We're going to do some things to help people find a way to serve when they're stuck at home. And so I'm really excited about the things that we have coming up. And I'm telling you that because I want you to be a part of those things, but you won't be a part of them if you don't know the details. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to creekside.me and subscribe to our newsletter. Creekside.me is really our home on the web for all the next steps at our church. And when you get there, you just scroll down a little bit. You'll see a button that says subscribe, click it, fill out the form, and then you will be on our newsletter, which means you will get the details about these events that we have coming up. Again, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I've, uh, I've been so thankful for my relationship with God over the last, you know, nine months. I'm always thankful for that, right? And I, if you're a Christian, you're always thankful for, for just having a relationship with God. Not just that we get to go to heaven someday, but just actually having a relationship. Um, but over the last eight or nine months, as we've you know, lived through all the things we've lived through, I've been more thankful than ever for that relationship. And, and the places that it means the most to me, this, this thing I have with God, this relationship I have with God, the, the places it means the most to me are the places where I... Frankly, this is going to be the whole point of this sermon today, really. It's the places where I believe God the most. When I just believe God, what he said to me, uh, what he has promised to me, when I believe him, then, then the relationship that I have with him is, is really, really valuable to me. And, and, and I think we know that in any relationship, right? When we believe a person will come through for us, when we believe in somebody and their help for us and, and how they're going to love us, then that relationship is just more meaningful to us. And when we don't believe in people, we don't believe people, then the relationship becomes you know, less valuable to us. And, and we, we struggle to see uh, sometimes how it even matters or how it benefits us. And today, like I said, what I'm here to tell you is so simple, and you know, it's a complex and beautiful passage, but, but I think overall the point is so simple. It's just that we need to believe God. We need to believe God. Uh, the last two weeks, Chuck and Matt have preached uh, very well and, and very important things. Chuck, I think I could, I could summarize your sermon like this. The best part of the gospel is God's greatness. That was his summary. The best part of the gospel is God's greatness. And then Matt said, faith shifts our focus from what we can do to what God has already done. But I think where we, where we sometimes kind of miss the point of their sermons is when we start to not really believe that those things are true for us. Sure, God has been great, but has he been great to me? I mean, sure, what God has done is really important, maybe more important than what I've done, but is it effective for me? Does it matter to my life? And I think these 
questions are, are really connected to the, the main idea of the gospel so far as, as told in the book of Romans. We've seen all of these incredible things about the gospel and, and about righteousness, uh, and we'll talk more about righteousness in a minute. But this question lingers for a lot of people. Sure, God promises to take care of his people, but is God really going to take care of me? And there's a short-term question there, right? Like, as I deal with all the things that I'm dealing with, is God really going to take care of me? I get that he takes care of people, but is he going to take care of me? Is he going to take care of us? And then there's the long-term part of that question, right? Like, sure, I believe, you know, that, that God loves people enough to get them into heaven and all of that, to declare them righteous, but, but could God actually love me that way? Is, is God's love, you know, is it effectual for me too or just people in general? And I think these questions are really answered for us in Romans 4, 9 through 25, um, but before, before we look at that, uh, the beginning, verse 9, doesn't really answer that question, but verse 9 is so important. So listen to what Paul writes to the Romans in, in Romans 4, 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Now, if, you, if you've been at our church for any length of time, you know, even a year, then, then you know that this word blessed or blessed uh, is, is one of my favorite words in all of the Bible. The, the root form of this is makarios, and makarios to me is, is, is such a beautiful word because, because of its meaning, because of what it means for, for me and what it means for us. The, the word makarios is the word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes, and, and if you know the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus kicks off his longest sermon in the Bible by saying blessed or blessed are, and then he he says all these things, and, and when I first preached on that, I looked deeply into this word, makarios, that word blessed, and, and, and I learned that it's this word that we could just skip right over in scripture, but it has such depth and importance, and, and here's how people outside of the Bible used it. They used it for the happiness of the gods, the Greek gods specifically, happiness of the gods, and the reason that they used this word for, for the gods is because the gods had an unlimited amount of resources, but also in an unlimited ability to use those resources. Let me describe it in terms of Thanksgiving or Christmas, um, because, because, you know, we just celebrated one and the other is coming. Uh, my wife made this incredible brownie cookie-topped dessert. I think there's a name for it, but I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head. A brookie, maybe, something like that. It's like a brownie and a cookie put together. I'm not a big Thanksgiving dessert guy, and since I'm the gluten-free one, Bryn's like, hey, I'm going to make a dessert that's gluten-free. Just pick something, and I'm not, somebody's going to say like pumpkin pie or pecan anything or, you know, like that. And so I started Googling like things that I wanted, just best desserts. I think that was my, my broad search of the Google term. And, and I discovered this, this brookie is that right? Yeah, brookie. Uh, and I was like, that looks incredible. Who can argue with a brownie and a cookie put together? And so she made me this. And as you all know, you take that first bite and it is so deeply satisfying of any whatever fill in your Christmas dessert or your Thanksgiving dessert. It's so deeply satisfying. It's perfect tasting. But like 15 bites in, you, you hit a wall, right? Like you're full or, you know, you need a glass of milk or uh, like, you, like 30 bites for me. You start to not enjoy the brookie as much as you enjoyed it when you first started eating it. But the difference between the Greek gods and their minds, right? We don't believe they were real. These mythological gods and us 
is, is in essence that they had all the brownie cookies that they could ever want and they could eat them forever without ever being full or ever gaining weight or ever having a problem from them. And this is kind of the, the meaning behind what Jesus is describing when he talks about Makarios. And I think it's the meaning at the heart of what Paul is saying in the book of Romans. It, really what Paul is getting at is that, that blessedness for Abraham, as we saw in Matt's passage last week, blessedness for Abraham is, in fact, this, this internal satisfaction, this is how I would define it, internal satisfaction that is not based on external circumstances. It is satisfaction that no circumstance can ever take away. It is satisfaction that we never you know, will fill up and get annoyed with and struggle with. It's satisfaction inside that is not based on anything we experience on the outside. I think that word is more important today than, than ever before because our circumstances, more collectively than any other time I can remember you know, in, in our history, uh, our, our circumstances do not, do not generate for most people satisfaction, happiness, joy, peace, you know, tranquility, all of those things. But Paul here uses a word to suggest that we can be satisfied inside no matter you know if there's a pandemic going on on the outside no matter how politically you know how much political unrest there is there's a satisfaction that we can all have and it's all found for Paul in Christ really what Paul is saying is that becoming a Christian leads to this blessedness and then he poses this question is it just for the circumcised or can it also be for the uncircumcised Paul's been dealing with this a lot, right, in this book. Like, if you've been along for this ride through Romans so far, then you've seen Paul emphatically, you know, over and over, talk about this kind of connection. That, like, is Christianity for, for just Jewish people or also for Gentiles? Do, or is it just for Gentiles and not for Jews? He kind of is wrestling with all this. And he gets to this point and he says, look, Abraham, the father of the Jews, he had this, this blessedness. He was blessed. And is that just for people who are in his physical lineage, or is that for everybody? I think that this question applies to us in a very different way, like this. Is the blessedness of Christianity, the internal satisfaction not based on external circumstances, is that only for people that come from the right family line? Is that just for people who grow up in Christian homes? Is that just for people who, you know, act like Christians, or is it can it be for me? That's really what we're wondering. Can it be for me? Is this blessedness only for those who like have some super faith? Uh, you know, like they're, they're like something special or magical about them or is it also for me? Is this just for people who have not sinned too much, who have not done too many wrong things, who have lived a pretty good life or is it also for me? Is this blessedness for people who have the right friends and hang out with the right people or is it also for me? Is this blessedness only for people that are on the right side of the political aisle or is it for me? I think we can, we can look at Paul's question about circumcision and not circumcision. We can fill in a million different blanks and ask the question, I mean really, is the satisfaction of God, is it just for those people or is it also for me? And Paul is going to answer this question in, in a, I mean, I think this is, it's just one of the more weighty passages. I think it's one of the more important passages in scripture. But I think at the, you know, as we get through it, we'll get to the end and we'll see that really it's, it's so simple in its meaning, even though it's so profound in its 
feeling. And here's what Paul, you know, in his answering his own question says in verses 9 through 12. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That's a lot of words, right? And, you know, if you're just reading it right now, you're just listening to me, you're going, like, what did he just say right there? But let me just tell you, it's so simple. It's basically this faith Listen to this, this is so important. Faith was the only characteristic that Abraham possessed that allowed him to receive the blessedness of God, to be blessed by God. Faith was the only characteristic that Abraham possessed that allowed for him to receive the blessedness of God. There was no other characteristic, there was no external characteristic that allowed for him to have this internal satisfaction that was not based on external circumstances. Abraham's faith was simple, we'll see in a minute. He simply believed God, and God blessed Abraham because he did so. Now, there's a couple of things that you need to notice about this passage. A couple of the details are really important for us. And and the first is that phrase, credited to him as righteousness. the first word here that's important to just, and I hopefully you've at least got a little bit of this now as we've talked through it. Matt had a great analogy last week about how he, a guy, his car broke down, it was fixed, and he didn't owe any money. Uh, and, and I think that's right in line with the meaning. The meaning of the term in, in, in the Old Testament was conformity to a relational standard. That's how the word was used. It was to conform to a relational standard, whether that was an inner characteristic or an external law. We the people, the Jewish people, were told to be righteous by conforming to some standard in a relationship. And, and I said this in an early sermon this, in, in the book of Romans, but, but that could be any relationship. We think of righteousness only in terms of God, but for the Jewish people, they could use that same word for having a right relationship between a husband and a wife. There are standards between a husband and a wife, and if those standards are broken, then the relationship no longer would be deemed as righteous. Father-son, you know, that's another one that you can see, like there was a certain way a dad was supposed to treat his child, and, and a child was supposed to treat his dad one you know with raising him up in the Lord and the other respecting and and if that was not happening then the relationship could not be deemed as righteous and so in the Old Testament when this word is applied to God it's simply that that there's this standard that people are supposed to live by both internally and externally and if they're not living up to the standard then they are unrighteous but if they're living up to the standard then they are righteous but we know if you've been looking in the book of Romans with me we know that every person has broken the standard that was set by God to have a right relationship with him all people are sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God and so the question becomes how do we become righteous and we've seen in this series that that we become righteous through faith that's what Paul is getting at here when he says credited Uh, The Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible says, Righteousness in the Old Testament is the fulfillment of the demands of a relationship. There is no norm of righteousness outside of the relationship itself. And so we look at God and we say, 
righteousness is being right, 100% right with you, but we also see that that is impossible. The pictorial encyclopedia of the Bible talks about Paul's view of righteousness because Paul takes this word righteous and he applies it in a very different way but gets to the same ideas. He says the key to Paul's view of righteousness as it is basic to an understanding of the whole of the gospel of Christ is found in his major major treatise, the letter to the Romans. The theme of Romans is righteousness and as we've seen he uses righteousness in a legal sense like innocence. And so Paul takes this same idea, this, this relational idea, and he applies a new word, a Greek word, and it's about legal standing or innocence. And so what Paul talks about when he talks about righteousness is being innocent in such a way that our relationship is right with God. And Paul says here that Abraham's faith allowed for God to credit to him righteousness. And that word is, is interesting to me, credited. Uh, and it's a word that I'm both righteous and this credited idea, like I could have spent my whole week reading about it and not even uh, touched on the you know, surface level of what people have written about this topic in this passage of Scripture right here. Uh, but I really, I really like what John Piper said. He, he, he said it simply, and he gave an analogy, and it was really helpful. He said uh, that basically, you know, this, this idea that it was credited is just simply that faith is counted as righteousness. And this is the analogy that he gave. He, he described, and this one hit me because I have young children right now, and I'm going to give this, I'm just going to help you visualize this, ready? This is how my kids start every play session, all right? Box of toys, we put it in there, we spend a week, and then they go like this. Just like that, right? Uh, that's how they start every play session. And if they have two minutes alone in their room, Hazel and Hudson, yeah, this is what their room then looks like, just about like this. And, and the analogy that, that Piper gave, and I'll, I'll use now, is, is in essence saying to your child, hey, if your room is cleaned up, then you can have a treat later. That always happens in our family. If your room is cleaned up, then you can have a treat later today. And this idea of being credited something is not that the kids go and pick up their toys and, and that you know makes the room clean. Uh, it's not that, that we just pretend the room is clean. It is, in fact, that, that I go, and this happens all the time in my family, and now I'm going to start telling them I've credited this to you as righteousness. Um, but it's that, that the dad, me in this scenario, probably more likely my wife, but uh, goes and, and picks up all of the toys. I won't finish right now. Picks up all of the toys, and at the end of the day, looks at their kid and says, your room is clean, you may have a treat. Your room is clean, you may have a treat. Now, we know that, that that is grace, right? I mean, we've seen that word come up, but it's grace that leads to us being uh, having righteousness credited to us. It isn't that we have, never, we have never made a mess, right? That's not what the Bible is saying. It's not that we've never made a mess. It isn't that God is pretending that we have never made a mess or that the mess doesn't exist. It's that God, and we know it comes through Jesus Christ's death on a cross, it's that God cleaned up the mess for us if we will place our faith in him. That is what it means to be credited as righteous. And so Paul says here about Abraham that Abraham was credited as righteous by God simply because of his his faith. It's a single word, his faith. Now, it says here this really interesting thing, and I like it, because sometimes, again, faith is this, is, can be such a big idea, 
and we, we say we want to grow in our faith and we want to you know, develop in our faith. And, and those are good things, don't get me wrong, but, but, but sometimes it becomes convoluted. What does that mean? And we think that faith often is all of these different rules that we have to follow and all of these different things that we have to jump through. And, and in this passage, is what I love so much. At the very end, we're gonna get a description of Abraham and his faith and what it means to have faith. And, and here Paul says, look, Abraham... His faith was like the footsteps that you could walk in. And if you walk in the footsteps of Abraham, then you are going to have a faith that leads to blessedness. And let me give you a hint. I'm just going to give you a hint. Abraham's faith was super simple. He just believed God. He believed God. And before we get to that, listen to this. In Romans 13, 4, 13 through 15. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by Faith, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. It wasn't the law that led to Abraham being blessed. It wasn't that he did enough things right that led to Abraham being blessed. What Paul is saying here is simply that the law actually just shows us how unable we are to pick up the mess ourselves. The law exists so that we can see how messy our lives truly are, how much we have have not lived up to the standard of the relationship of God. That's why the law exists. And so Paul says, look, no, 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 you don't get blessed through following enough rules because, because then it would be impossible. It would be impossible. And then it wouldn't depend on grace. This will say in a second. But instead, it comes down to one thing, and that thing is is faith. It's faith. You don't get the blessedness of God by being in the right family or having the right political stances or volunteering enough or donating enough or, you know, whatever it might be. You do not get the blessedness of God in that way. It only comes through faith. And Paul continues, Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Abraham believed God and he became blessed. I love this right here. It says, so that, it comes through faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. There is no righteousness. There is no crediting of righteousness. There is no hope for a right relationship with God apart from grace. As we described these toys being picked up, right? I mean, you know, in my scenario, when I clean up my kid's room, it's not me who creates the mess. Right, It is them who creates the mess, and oftentimes it is them who creates the mess because they are doing things that they are not supposed to do. Grace is, grace is picking up the mess so that the person can have the reward despite the fact that they made the mess in the first place. And Paul says, look, if it came by the law, then it wouldn't be grace, but it is grace. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
None of us who are Christians can boast in our own satisfaction, in our blessedness, in our salvation, because none of us earned it. It is credited to us. Righteousness is credited to us because of God's grace. And he reminds us of who God is here, and I love that. Because, like, for me, I don't know, like, like if somebody is gracious to me here on earth, like, the closer I am to them, the, the more of their mistakes I've seen, the less gracious their grace can sometimes feel. But, but the, the less I know of their faults and failures, the more gracious grace feels, if that makes sense. And, uh, you know, like, like if some dignitary were to stop on the side of the road and help me fix my car or whatever, I would be like, wow, what incredible grace. I see that story a lot about professional athletes, right? Uh, it comes up, it becomes newsworthy, like some athlete stopped on the side of the road after their game and helped, you know, somebody start their car or whatever. And it feels more gracious than if Chad stopped on the side of the road and helped somebody fix their car because of their importance. And at the end of that section that I just read to you, Paul reminds us of who is offering the grace. It's the God. God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. It is the creator and sustainer of the universe who has offered us grace. And in my, you know, my heart and my head, that makes grace feel just that more gracious. We can't really fully understand the grace of God unless we truly remember how incredible God is, that he created all that we see, that he sustains it by his power, that he is able to do all all things, that he is able to know all things, that he is able to be in all places. I mean, these are the things that make God's grace more gracious to us when we remember them. This is not just some professional athlete stopping by the side of the road to fix a car. This is the God of the universe stepping down from heaven to die for our sins. God is a glorious being and that makes his grace even more gracious and then Paul says in Romans 4, 18 through 22, and this is the description, ready? Now, I want you to pay close attention to this because this is, this is the description of the faith that led to Abraham being blessed. And if you're going, wow, I wish I could have faith that, that allowed for me to be satisfied, you know, despite my circumstances. If you're, if you're like, I wish, I wish I could get to that point, just I think that you should find hope in this because, because this description is so really simple. It's so simple. Romans 4, 18 through 22. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. These are the footsteps of Abraham. And if you were paying attention to that passage of Scripture, there's a lot of things said about Abraham's faith, but they all boil down to this one very simple and incredible idea. Abraham simply believed God. If you don't know the story of Abraham, it's important that I... I tell it to you right now. I'm going to give you the most broad, generic version of the story. But Abraham was very old, and so was his wife. They were very far past the age of childbearing. And God showed up and said, you're going to be the father of many nations. It was simply, you know, an unbelievable thing to hear uh, by the standards of our world. 
This is not something that, you know, if I came up to you and I said it to, you know, somebody that was 100 years old right now, right? They would say there is no way. There is no way that that is possible. That will not happen. I'd say, well, in this situation, you're right. But Abraham, when God told him that, this is what the whole passage is saying. He simply believed what God was telling him. He believed God despite the fact that it seemed absolutely unbelievable by human standards. I mean, you can look at this language here, in hope. I just think that's such an important thing right now, hope. Uh, I think we all feel a little bit hopeless, and, and, uh, and, and Abraham, in hope, believed. And hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking, it's confident expectancy. He, he was confident that God would do exactly what God said he would do. In hope, he believed. He believed. That's just the verbal form of the word faith. He simply had faith that God was going to do what he said he would do. It says, without weakening in his faith, he did not waver through unbelief. Abraham did not weaken or waver in his belief in what and in, in the fact that God would do exactly what he said he would do. It says that he was fully persuaded that God had the power. I love that. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, that God is able to do what he says he will do. Abraham looked up, saw that in the natural sense what God had claimed he was going to do was impossible, but he trusted in the power of God. He believed that God had the ability, that God was able to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And at the very end there, near the end there, it says the promise of God. And for me, this is what it's all, it's all based on this, right? I mean, if there was nothing promised, then there's nothing to believe. But for Abraham, he looked, he heard a promise of God, and he decided that he was simply going to believe that promise. There's this incredible theme here, and I think all of us need to pay attention to it. When we think about having great faith, when we think about living out our faith as we walk through the things that we are walking through right now, if we think about holding on to faith in the midst of the trials that we are struggling with right now, when we think about all of that, we can convolute it and make it messy and be like, well, if I do this, this, and this. But, but at, a, at the very base of it all, the foundation of it all is simply that we believe the things that God has said to us. The thing that leads us to having the blessedness of God, the internal satisfaction that isn't based on external circumstances, is simply believing that God will do and can do the things that he has said he will do. Genesis 15, 6 summarizes it so succinctly. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's repeated in Romans 4, 3. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as his, to him as righteousness. And then Paul continues. I'll come back to all that in just a second, but Paul continues in verses 23 through 25. The words that was written to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead, this is a great line. This is the gospel summarized. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Uh, Paul says, look, Abraham's story is not just for Abraham. The story is actually for you too. The story of Abraham is meant to be a blueprint or footsteps for you to follow in. And he says specifically, it's footsteps for you to follow in when it comes to the gospel of 
God. I just want to say, if you memorized the second half of verse 24 and all of verse 25 here, which wouldn't be that hard, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, then you could tell people that you know how to explain the gospel. This is the gospel in about the shortest form that you can possibly think of the gospel, but it's that Jesus died for our sins and he came back to life so that we might be justified or or declared innocent, declared righteous. That's, we were credited righteousness and we were declared righteous by God. That's, that's what that's saying there. And for me, I want to expound on that and say this is what we believe as Christians. We believe exactly what Paul says, but we believe that we are each sinners, that we have each, to come back to my mess here, we have each made a mess of our lives, and more importantly, we have made a mess of our relationship with God by sinning, by doing things that did not live up to the standard that God had for us. And instead of just condemning us for eternity, God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step down into the mess that they have created. I'm going to make no mess myself, and I'm going to offer them the opportunity to have their mess entirely cleaned up by dying on a cross for their sins. And so Jesus came, he lived perfectly, and then he died for our mess. And then God, after raising Jesus from the dead. He raised him from the dead so that we might be declared innocent, that our lives might be declared picked up. Even though we know they're not, they might be declared picked up. He raised Jesus from the grave. Jesus ascended into heaven and then God looked down at people through prophets, through his through prophecy, through his men and women, through the Bible and he said, look, all you have to do to have your mess declared picked up is uh, you have to place your faith in me. You have to believe in this story called the gospel that Jesus died for the sins of the world and was raised to life for our justification. I want to pause there and saying, again, just being justified is to be acquitted of all charges. It's not that God pretends there's no mess. It's that he cleans it up for us and then says, you're not messy. To be acquitted of all charges that have been brought against us because of our sins. And God is offering, I want you just to know this, I want every person to know this, especially those listening online because I know you less well than the people in this room right now. You need to understand that all you have to do is believe this story called the gospel and God will take the mess of your life, the mess that you have made, and he will declare you clean because of what Jesus did for you. Now, you might think, well, faith is all these things, and maybe I have to jump through all these hoops and make new friends and do all these things. No, no, no. Stop all that. Don't think about all that. Don't think about all of those things. Simply decide whether or not you believe that God is going to be faithful to his promise to clean up your life, to declare you innocent, and whether or not he's able to do those things. And if you say yes, believe it and give him your life. And the rest of that stuff, it may follow. There will be changes for you. Things will be different. But that isn't what leads to you having a clean soul it is it is simply placing your faith in him it is believing in the footsteps of abraham believing that god can and will do exactly what god has said he will do through the gospel for me i think there's two really important things here like i just said for those that aren't christians for the, for you who have never believed in jesus man you you just It can be so complicated, and we as Christians can make it so complicated. But I would just ask the question this morning, like, like, is your life messy? Do you realize that you've broken your relationship with God and made a mess of yourself? 
And if you had, just simply, if you have, just simply ask. Like, do I need a savior? Do I need somebody's help? And, and the answer, I believe, is yes. And if you believe that, then I would say, look inside your heart and ask, do you believe that God is the one who is able to forgive you for your sins, who is able to clean up the mess of your life and to declare you righteous? But there's a point here, I think, for those of us who have already done that. First, like, we should just be so thankful for that, right? Like, we should be so excited that God declared us innocent even though we are guilty and as I said in an early sermon in this you know this study through the book of Romans I have been I have been guilty of of not preaching the gospel to Christians enough Uh, like we all know it right we all know this story we all know what Jesus did for us so we don't have to talk about it that often but man I think I've been wrong in that I've been maybe you know I've been sinful in that because we we should want to talk about the gospel as much as possible and so for just the first, the biggest, the most important thing today, if you are a Christian, man, just remember how incredibly gracious the grace of God is that would allow for us simply by believing in what he has done in the gospel to have our lives, our lives cleaned up, declared innocent, declared righteous. But also, I think, as a, as a subsequent point to that, if you have believed God for the salvation from sin, then we should also believe the promises of God that he has made to those who have been forgiven for their sins. And I think right now, if you're scared, if you're worried about life, if you're frustrated, if you're tired like I am, then, then in, in some area of your life, you are forgetting about or not believing in the promises that God has made to you. Promises like the one that I just keep bringing up, promises like where God says in Romans 8, a passage we'll look at, you know, in several weeks, that God is working all things for our good. For me, that's like, you know, that that right now is like God showing up to a hundred-year-old person and saying, hey, I'm going to give you a baby, you know, like, well, that feels impossible. I mean, I'm looking around and going, how can God possibly turn all of the stuff that we're dealing with into something that works for my good? How is that possible? And, and if you look at the footsteps of Abraham, you just ask yourself the question, am I going to believe God or not? I mean, to To cling to your faith is not some complicated thing. It's simply saying, am I going to actually believe God is is willing and able to do the things that he has said he is going to do? And if you believe God, man, then you should be satisfied inside knowing that he has done incredible things for you and is doing incredible things for you, even if the world around you is falling apart. We're going to do something at the end of our service today for the live stream. People, we have a series of questions up there. You guys won't be able to see them here uh, for people to answer in their homes with others. And one of the things it says, one of the questions it asks is, what's your favorite promise in the Bible that God has made to you? What's your favorite promise that God has made to you? And I bring that up now because I would say to each one of you in this room, if you don't know any promises to God, you online too, if you don't know any promises, you need to figure out what God has promised to you in Scripture. You need to look in His Word and see what He has promised to you. And then you need to do your best to believe it. Whether you're not a Christian and your life is still just in shambles, unforgiven, broken relationship with God, 
or whether you are a Christian, have been for a long time, I simply say to you today, this is so simple, believe God. Just believe him like Abraham did and you will begin to find the internal satisfaction that you are longing for.